0: Welcome to the next episode of The Prestige, a podcast about films and filmmaking and film theory.
1: Each week we'll be looking at a particular film and then a general theme um, circulating around that film and giving us a chance to talk about um, other ideas. So
0: we'll kick it off with some sort of reviewing discussion of the film itself, go on to our our listeners and end it off with some, some recommendations and that kind of thing. But for all of that, who are we?
1: My name's Sam, and I'm a writer and teacher, and I write about books and graphic novels.
0: My name's Rob, and I'm a film colourist with about a decade's experience working on uh, major films around the UK. So this week, kicked off by last week's discussion, we looked at Reservoir Dogs. Your thoughts, Sam?
1: Oh, I love this film. <laughs> <laughs> they're, 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 they're the only, only thoughts I've got, as a... A fifteen-second podcast for you. Um, no, I, I just, I, I think this is this is brilliant, and it's hard to, it's hard to get your head around how this was a director in his twenties, and it was the first thing he did. Well, I suppose it's not. It was the first major film he did. Hmm. Given this is sorry, it's on the le- surface level, a
0: very violent film about some robbers, about some not people. Why love it so much?
1: Okay, right. Um, because it's not about robbers and it's not about violence and it's not about torture and it's not about blood. And I have this idea about Tarantino that his films, and particularly this one's a particularly good example, are so good because they're so self-referential um, and they're just aware all the time of what it is to make a film. And Reservoir Dogs even starts with Tarantino himself saying, what was I talking about? So it... From the very beginning of this film, you've got him calling attention to the fact that actually it's just this is just a narrative that he's throwing at you, and then you have I mean all the, all the things about Tim Roth with it performance being important and his role being that of an actor, although he's not an actor, he's an undercover cop. But then he's an actor playing an undercover cop who has to play an actor in those in those scenes. So I I like the way it's just such a clever film, and this this is one of the things I I love about Tarantino, and particularly, I wouldn't say particularly this his early work, but also some of the later stuff Um some of the things he did in Django Unchained and Inglorious Bastards with, it, just just the the awareness that he has is brilliant.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, for me, I, mean, I I would agree with everything. That you said there. For me, the thing that I loved about this was that it broke down in a very sort of popularist way established codes of cinema. Um, so I, 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 I'm totally down with the whole it's a film, the film kind of thing. But for me, it opens with a long, long discussion about A, tipping, and B, the meaning of Like a Virgin by Madonna. That's the opening scene of what has been sold to the audience as a crime film. Yeah. And, I mean, I think you can trace the route to this kind of stuff back to things like Slacker by uh, Rich, Richard Littlitter. Have you seen that, Sam? No. Sl- Slacker is uh, 1991, so it's a year before Cl- before um, Resident Dogs. Um, and it's basically, you meet a guy on a street, you follow him for sort of ten seconds, and then you meet someone else, and you don't get, like, a a narrative. If, you, if you've seen the opening to the player, where you drop all these people over, like, a, an epic one take, it's that, but in a film. Mm. Um, and that was very much the birth of the American indie movement in a popularist way, and I think that Reservoir Dogs carries on on that. And I think that Tension has made a career out of doing this kind of stuff, where yes, they're they're cops, and yes, they're robbers, and yes, they're criminals. But when you've been raised in the kind of the archetypes of things like The Godfather and Casino, where things like movies and books and TV and things don't exist in film world, yeah, there's almost there's a a a fan theory of things like uh, um, Walking Dead. The Walking Dead exists in a world where zombies never happened. Mm. Because film world, film reality, I make with air quotes, is a different reality to us. Things like books don't exist, films don't exist. In a zombie film, it became laughable that none of the characters knew what a zombie was.
1: And everyone knows how to kill a zombie, except in a zombie film.
0: Um, and I think this kind of the, the indie movement and Resident Dogs was a big icon of that broke those rules down and went yeah, actually, you actually know, our characters have listened to Madonna songs they have seen films they have musical tastes that are completely unimportant to their character roles but are interesting and something to talk about in the same way if you know, God forbid me and my friends had to go and commit a robbery we would when we were hanging out chat about TV shows and films that we've watched yes and I think it Broke down those existing codes of how of film world of the almost the proscenium arch of cinema happening beyond that fourth and it isn't fourth wall breaking in the way other things are but I think it bleeds the two worlds of performance world and the real world down yeah um, and to keep back to zombie seconds the reason why people love Shaun of the Dead so much exactly what I was thinking about I was thinking about Simon Pegg as a similar exactly and that one's where you watch that because we're all well aware that if zombies happened it would be much like Sean the Sheep we're all a bit like oh oh shit oh um all right <laughs> you know we we aren't action heroes i think that's when you infuse your film with pop culture references um that helps i think also there's a very smart thing in Ruzzle dogs from a filmic point of view the pop culture references aren't current references yeah so they aren't talking, and then that's the downfall of some films—they talk about Twitter or MySpace or that sort of stuff. They're talking about seventies culture, yeah. And that way, it, despite being pop culture reference, filmed doesn't date itself.
1: Yes, I was I was thinking actually also how it it feels like quite a retro film, and mm. um, the the way it's shot is very—I mean, it's, it doesn't doesn't feel like a film. Made made in the early nineties, which is a good thing given what else was being made in the early nineties. Yes, but there is that that sort of 70s sensibility to the way it was made, and it was something that we've talked about before. With um, uh, what what was that, that early film you you worked on that used old oh film away days? Yes,
0: yeah, yeah. Just just for the listener that I worked on a film called Away Days. I haven't mentioned it on a previous podcast, but we were very much going for a seventies look. And that's a modern film set in the seventies, but I know what you mean. I think that, I mean, he's obviously look at Tarantino's filmography. That he has a love of that old cinema. Mm. A lot of his later films, especially something like Jackie Brown, but more so in other genres as well, he's harking back to those old thing, old films he loves: westerns, war movies, especially World War Two movies. And for the period when he's been making these films, these genres haven't been big. Like we we are we are very much post the Western era of cinema and very much post the World War Two movie era of cinema. But he still makes those films in those genres for a modern audience. Yes.
1: Yeah.
0: Um so I think there's certainly you know, I think Tarant himself would will he has a love of that kind of era of cinema.
1: I also well going going back to that, that first scene I was thinking when when you talked about the Godfather and Casino and things like that, it it's, it struck me that it's such a clever scene because you could have a character in that saying, "You're talking to me," or no, not not taxi driver, but so so you think I'm funny? You think I'm funny? Mm. How? And the other character in that scene would say, "Well, yes, I do think you're funny, and here's why you're being an idiot." Yes, rather stronger language, but it, it's not. There's there's something about Films like Casino and The Godfather that take themselves very seriously in a way mm. of that Tarantino films definitely don't. I think there's
0: one notable thing from uh, Dogs, is almost the lack of a hero. Mm. Yeah, I mean you've you've got um, Tim Roth, who I suppose at a certain point is the hero because he's the he's the cop, but he's certainly not a hero. No point is is he portrayed as the hero character. I mean, if anything, you've got Mr. White at Harvey Hotel. Mm-hmm who has the kind of the arc of the story but even he's he's clearly a bad guy and it's very unusual in that that no one there even other crime films things like even Ocean's 11 or Godfather you have got a hero character to it and this this doesn't have that there's no one who we're looking to identify with it's just it's something to see
1: hmm. there is um, there's a moment there's a fairly short scene with Mr. Orange right before Tim Roth joins the guys on for the heist Um, and he looks around his apartment and he searches for the ring that he's wearing as a wedding ring. Mm. And that is about as close as you get to empathising with the character. But I agree, you're right, he's not a good guy at all. But I think that's interesting. And in the the way that
0: you've got something like Kill Bill, which is a later film, um, Tarantino, which has a hero character, certainly, but she clearly isn't a hero. She's a... um, mass murdering ex-assassin mm. but she's very much portrayed in the film as the hero the one we follow and that, that is quite evidently missing in this and I think Pulp Fiction has that as well there isn't really a hero to those films no,
1: there isn't and there isn't even a central narrative in, in Pulp Fiction
0: no um, but I think both of those kind of do echo one of Tarantino's certain trademarks is the the mixing of time Yes, both those films play with the traditional uh, linear story Pulp Fiction is a great example of the different stories different time frames but Resident Dogs uses it as a great technique because you see the flashbacks and it's notable that for a well-loved heist film you never ever see the heist
1: also something really good about the flashbacks is there's no clunky two hours earlier or 17 yes. minutes later it's just Counting assumes that you know what's going on so he he gives his audience credit for being able to follow a storyline like that. Mm.
0: And I think that sometimes, when in his career he has misstepped a little bit, it has been because of that where he, he loses that faith in the audience to go with him. Yeah, because I mean, he as as anyone know that the the, the, the the pop culture mythology around Tantino is he worked in a video store for many years and has seen more films than any man ever, and that's why his films are so full of these references. It's because he spent all these years watching all these films. Mm. And so when he first started out, he. You know, you know when it's a flashback. You don't need to tell the view it's two years ago, you know, 10 hours ago. You know it is. And he came at it with that kind of. I've watched thousands of films this last year. And I think that over time, if you look at his sort of career, it hasn't. That hasn't lasted. Obviously, he hasn't watched as many films he used to. But I think that this early stuff very much bought into the language of cinema, the unspoken language of cinema that we all kind of understand how film, even in certain non-linear, like Reservoir Dogs, we all understand how these things work, and he uses that to great effect, I think. Yeah. Um, but let's, let's go back to your discussion earlier about uh, sort of the more theory sort of things of um, it being a film about a film about filming.
1: Well, I was just I was thinking, thinking, thinking more generally about the way... That certain films call attention to their own existence. There was there was one actually. I there's a there was a serendipitous moment right at the beginning of this po- podcast where you got the name of the film wrong, and you said "Clarks" by mistake. because yes. I've got that written down as one of my recommendations for this week because it's the same sort of film. Mm. It's the same idea of nothing really happens, but something monumental has happened yes we're going to spend the whole film sort of calling attention to the the existence of, of a film and also exploring the relationship between these characters so I, I was going to give clerks, or clerks depending on your American or English um, yes. I was going to give that as, as a recommendation for this week so I'm, I'm glad you sort of inadvertently said it well I think Clerks is an interesting one. I'll certainly have to cover that in a a later podcast. Because
0: Clerks um, and its sequel, Mallrats, are one of the reasons why I make films. I saw those as an impression teenager and uh, went on to follow a career in film because of seeing these films. Mm. But that's another podcast, I think. I think think you make a great point there. I think that Tarantino's love of cinema and cinematic tricks is very evident. I think even later films like Kill Bill... He uses tricks like switching to black and white and back to colour, which are clearly breaking the sort of the pristine arched nature of film, mm. um, but to great effect and take you with him on them. And obviously, that one mixes with time as well as you jump back and forth between different things. And there are various shots in that that are clearly, clearly filmic. Yeah. Including obviously her talking directly to camera. But I think that he does great work in using the language of cinema
1: to its own effect. And... There are some particularly clever bits. I don't don't especially want to talk about the torch scene and stuck in the middle with you because that's the only thing anyone seems to talk about that mm. But when Michael Madsen leaves the warehouse to get something from his car, there is a very very clever bit of shooting that yes. that's done in one take, and that that's just amazing. And I don't. It, it's it, it's like I can say this because I've only seen the first half an hour of it, so uh, re- ready for my for my uh, philistine status to be exposed. But from the very beginning of Citizen Kane, there is a camera shot, and that is is amazing. And mm. it, you, when you when you know about how difficult it was to do, you think Orson awesome Welles was a genius at what he did. Yes. Um, yeah. Sorry
0: for not seeing the rest of it. It's alright. It, 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 I think this is something I look at coming down the line, but also, but uh, Citizen Kane is one of those films that's important and relevant, but may not be good. <laughs> right, okay. Um, I think it, and it's, it's one of those films that like, we understand why it's important in the history of film, but you sit and watch it today, it isn't, isn't going to rock your world.
1: Right. Okay.
0: No, in the same way that, like, the jazz singer. Yes. It's important to film as a whole, but you watch it now, and you're like, "Well, yeah, it's alright, It's nothing special," unless you know its history. It comes with baggage compared to the filmic text itself. Yeah. I think there's a little bit of that around Reservoir Dogs as well. Just to kind of touch together but Reservoir Dogs obviously was the calling card of Tarantino, who has become a force. And uh, Tarantino-esque is a, a filmic style all of itself. Um, so there is a lot. But Resident Dogs, it's hard to discuss Resident Dogs without its history. And in fairness, I opened this podcast, my first thoughts were about its history, its place in history, rather than the text itself. Mm, yeah. Um, I think that sometimes it can be hard to separate those two. Um, but I, I, I do i do think you're right, I think, about Tarantino his love of cinema as a tool, as well as just a, a medium. All throughout his career, I mean, like Death Proof, um, which I don't think was as as good as he wanted it to be.
1: I think Death Proof is the only Tarantino I haven't seen. It's it's good
0: in that it could have be been far worse. But it, it, it suffers from being paired against Robert Rodriguez's uh, Planet Terror.
1: Oh yeah, because it was a... Was, was that the one that was a, a dual feature? Yes, it was a Grindhouse double bill called Grindhouse. And
0: Death Proof is much more a 70s kind of dual-esque horror film. It, it's about the niceness of man and building that tension up whereas Planet Terror is a balls out 80s VHS slasher film kind of thing and I think when you compare the two in you know, Adult Bill it comes off worse but it has got a lot of good things but the main character is a film stuntman right Inglorious Bastards to spoil it a little bit the big fight is in a cinema Yes, yeah. there's a lot about cinema as a whole in these in the films and he uses that the language of that to do interesting As you say, single takes, that kind of thing. Mm. There's, a te- there's a technical skill to his filmmaking that I think can
1: often be overshadowed by
0: his use of pop culture and language. Some Something
1: else I noticed um, a couple of times is the way that he will do something um, that's sort of a nod to film convention and then it, it'll appear to be Tarantino thumbing his nose at the audience because... Well, there, there's a bit where Michael Madsen he, at the beginning of the torture scene uh, primes his gun and then puts that down and you think that might be used later on and it turns out mm. it isn't used at all. And then it's... there's there's Tim Rothman in the diner and there's a shot of him meeting his buddy outside and you think, oh, this is a sign there's a watcher looking on but actually it's not at all. He's just using an establishing shot from outside the building. So there'll be times like that where Tarantino just says, well you may think there's something going on here, but this is just real life. Well, I think it, it, it's always the rejection. Is it, I think it's a Chekhov
0: quote. quote, um, that if you if you put a gun on the mantelpiece in scene one, it has to be shot in scene Yeah, that,
1: that's what I was thinking, The Tarantino rejects this idea. Well, I think that all links
0: back to, as we were saying earlier about it, even the, the pop culture, like the opening scene. There's no real relation to the rest of the film. The fact that M- Mr Pink doesn't tip, which is a good five-minute part of the opening scene, doesn't matter. No. That that doesn't come. in. I mean, there is there is argument around the fact that it's it's uh, it's Mr. Orange that that that, that, dob, that 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 grasses him up to Joe, I mean, is sort of a foreshadowing of his nature as the yeah. I think, mean, but, but a bit tenuous. I think that is a bit of a reach, and I think that's as as you say, it is the, the rejection of that the, of the Chekhov idea is that. People can just talk about things, and it doesn't relate to the story. It doesn't relate to the, uh, the overarching plot. Nothing is foreshadowed. It's just them talking, um, and the gun with Mr. Blonde is a great example of that. I think the only I'm looking at quickly looking at Tarantino here to look at his wider collection. Jackie Brown is the only one I I think really didn't work.
1: Because I I was looking I was looking at some clips online, um, earlier this evening, and. I came across one bit from Jackie Brown which was brilliant and it was perfect Tarantino and it's the scene where Robert De Niro's just had enough and flips and shoots Bridget Fonda mm. and that that struck me as, as a and I can see what you're saying the film as a whole may not work but that struck me as a particularly Tarantino-esque moment I, I, I would agree, I think it's full of little moments like that that are
0: Tarantino-styling mm. And I, I, I do have a theory around why I don't think it's reached the same level of popular support that other films have. And I think it's around... It he, he almost went too far down the rabbit hole. Mm. Reservoir Dogs and and um, um, true Romance were kind of... And, um, and Pulp Fiction were kind of taking the genres of crime and twisting them. Kill Bill is the classic revenge film. And Glorious Bastards is a war film, Django Changes is a hit western. Jackie Brown is is a modern day retelling of a black exploitation classic. Now
1: and there will be there will be times in Django for example where he nods towards black exploitation but you're right it is it is solely that.
0: And I mean I I I have a large collection of weird alternate films. I've seen a lot of that kind of the era but it's not as well known a genre as everything else he's done. Hmm. The black genre. People may have seen one maybe two films but to put you on a spot Sam, I mean Apart from Shaft.
1: <laughs> um, yeah, and I'm out.
0: Exactly. And, and, and there, there's an infamous Jackie Brown one called Coffee, which people often reach to. But beyond that, people don't know much about that genre. And I think it, that, that's the reason why it isn't as loved, is because people don't get all the references that he puts in there, yeah. even if it's subliminal. And I do think that Jackie Brown was not misstepped, because I think it's a great film. But I do think that it lost a lot of the audience because they just didn't know where he was going with it.
1: And that that's one of the one of the great things about Tantino is that you cannot know where he's going and it still be enjoyable because it's familiar. Yes. Whereas if it's not, if, if it's not, then you're you're completely lost, as as at times in Jackie Brown, then then you lose lose a bit of that.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's that's uh, he trades his stock in trade is. Our shared cultural knowledge, and you know, we, we, we all get the opening scene of um, as our, our dogs because we know the song like a virgin, yes. Um, they uh, we get a lot of things, whereas with Black Legend, we just didn't know the references he was making and he lost us, no. Well, I think, I mean, that's a a good place to end the list. Sam, you got anything else you want to add particularly to this,
1: or we can move on to our recommendations. Well, I uh, you've, you've already stolen one of my recommendations. Fair enough. But um, I suppose anything by Kevin Smith would be a, a good option to pair with with Tarantino. And also thinking about this idea of self-referential cinema and playing with narrative, I was thinking about, um, uh, it's, it's another 90s film, it's the, the original, the Dine de Comte, and when I say the original I mean the French one, because there was... An, Awful US remake called "Dinner with Schmucks," which turned it into a horrible knockabout buddy comedy, and it's not that at or all. The original French one is brilliant, and um, so that would be my my recommendation for this. I genuinely don't think I've seen that, so I shall have to check that out. That that's possibly the first time that's happened.
0: Yes, yeah. I'm I, I'm gonna e- echo Sam a little bit here, and have the Kevin Smith, and I think. I'd recommend watching Clarks and Clarks 2 because we are talking about earlier about classicness of references. I think Clarks 2 doesn't get it right. Clarks 2 talks a lot about the upcoming Lord of the Rings films and all this sort of stuff. And it dates itself quite badly. Whereas Clarks doesn't. Because it talks about things like Star Wars and Jaws and more classic references. Mm. And then you're looking at that kind of... You're looking into how to do pop culture stuff in maybe a film you're making or watching... How it's been done well or badly, I would look at the compare and contrast of those two films because there's interesting parallels and differences around them. And I'm gonna almost recommend a film prior to Reservoir Dogs called City on Fire. City on Fire is a 1987 film um, by Chow Yun Fat from Hong Kong, and Reservoir Dogs basically is the American remake of this film.
1: Right, in terms of the narrative.
0: In terms of the narrative, um, it's very much it's a it's a Tarantino take on it, and it's not a remake. But if you are looking at influences, and if you are liking the kind of the styling of the film and the narrative play, this is a great place to look at it. And also, as we we're talking about referential stuff and self-referential stuff, the the homage that *Ruzzle Dogs* is to *City on Fire* is a great place to look. Mm. But it's it's uh, it's well worth. It's a good film itself, obviously, but it is uh, there are certain links into the films to check
1: out. very great. Right. Well, thanks for that, Rob, and as I said, it's probably a good place to, to stop for this week, and uh, if you have any suggestions for what we might like to cover in, in the coming weeks, then uh, please do get in touch. Uh,
0: you can find us on, on Twitter as Prestige Podcast. Drop us a tweet with your any a your thoughts on what we've talked about today and anything else you want us to talk about in future. Alright guys, uh, see you next week. See you
1: next week. Thanks for listening.